Money is tight everywhere. How should chief information security officers get the best bang for their buck? Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of Information Security Media Group and GovInfoSecurity.com. And to answer that question, I'm joined by Amri Junadine and Mike Brown of Deloitte. Amri is Principal Enterprise Risk Services and Federal Cybersecurity Leader. Mike is a former Chief Information Security Officer at the Federal Aviation Administration and at Deloitte, he's Senior Manager of its Federal Technology Risk Practice. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. As I said in my introduction, money is tight everywhere. How should Chief Information Security Officers get the best bang for their buck? I think that's a great question and a question that's being asked by all of our CISOs in the in the federal community. I want to take us back just for a couple of minutes to what the private sector experienced uh, about three or four years ago in the throes of uh, the recession. They were faced with the same question, which is we need to manage risk, we need to achieve compliance, and we need to do it with less less resources, less money. And I think there are quite a few pages from that book that our federal government and its agencies can actually take. But fundamentally, Eric, it involves using a sound risk management process. And I know that a risk management process could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But quite simply put, and we can get into the details later, it's really about knowing uh, where your assets are and truly understanding what is important in order of uh, impact and, and, and complexity and, and, and brand and reputation and all of that, and having a process in place to make sure that those things that are most important are taken care of first. Because I often say if everything is a focus, uh, nothing is. And I believe that a fundamental and thorough risk management process is fundamental to achieving this concept of, of more with less. This is Mike. As a, as a former CISO, you know, living in a resource-constrained environment for me wasn't really anything new. Uh, we were always facing uh, shrinking bottom line, tight budgets, and having to make do more with less. But what I found really helpful in, in the operation that I ran, both in the Army and in the uh, FAA, was, one, to understand what the core business is, the agency or, or department that you're associated with, and then trying to see what it is that I did that really supported that core business. What that drove me to do was to get a, a, a better understanding, a good understanding of exactly what applications, what systems made up and supported that, that core business. So I had to do a, a, a really a tight look at asset management, applications, softwares, and systems and then kind of do a rack and stack as to which ones were critical to the business and which ones were less critical to the business. And so once I did that, then I was able to go through the C&A work and be able to determine, you know, where the high vulnerabilities, moderates, and, and low vulnerabilities were. So that's kind of where I put the emphasis on. But then I also had to step back and take more of a comprehensive look to, to try to understand the landscape around the vulnerabilities, because what I found was that a lot of times you could mitigate one or two vulnerabilities at a higher level and this, and, and therefore remediate m multiple vulnerabilities that were popping up in other systems and thereby not having to spend, a, you know, those dollars fixing each individual system, but bringing it up to a higher level and then fixing one or two and then the whole system benefited from, from those remediations. 
I'm assuming a lot of organizations are doing risk management assessments. Uh, if they aren't, I guess they're in a lot of trouble. Amr, you said something that was interesting, that everything should not be in focused. That suggests that uh, maybe CISOs or other people are doing too much in trying to determine what their IT security challenges are. What are some of the worst practices, I would say, or or maybe characterized a little differently, or not so harshly, but what are some of the things that, with good intentions, CISOs and others are doing but shouldn't be doing in determining their risks? Yeah, that's a great question. I I think uh, there are uh, numerous, but if I can focus on just a couple. One is I believe that uh, CISOs, in some CISOs, in an attempt to try and satisfy every single compliance requirement and every single checklist out there, sometimes ends up happening, Eric, is that they might duplicate work. So, you know, we use a simple concept of test ones, assess many. I think that this is a simple paradigm that a lot of CISOs don't understand. So you've got silos of activity that takes place inside of the CISO organization and beyond because there might be assessments being done by other parts of the organization. Maybe it's the some kind of an internal audit type function or it might be the CIO organization, et cetera. There might be multiple risk assessments and uh, processes that basically are duplicative and, and really trying to accomplish the, the same objective. So I think one of the worst practices that I've seen is a, a huge amount of duplication. And the second thing I have seen is a, a tremendous amount of you know, paperwork and, and busy work and kind of reams of manuals that, that really ultimately don't help achieve uh, the uh, objective of reducing risk. I think that CISOs need to kind of flip the switch and basically say, all right, number one, how can I actually focus on things that are most effective? And then also, can I use more technology to be more effective in the, by, by which I can identify risk, assess it, uh, and also very quickly adopting this the, the new paradigm of con- continuous monitoring, right, to make sure that once you know what risks you're basically trying to work with, uh, do I have the technologies in place and the processes in place to make sure that I'm continuously monitoring my risk environment versus kind of simply going through the process of satisfying the auditor or satisfying somebody else purely from a compliance perspective. Is there too much concern about satisfying the auditor? I mean, we've heard a lot in the past year about moving to continuous monitoring and that the Federal Information Security Management Act compliance uh, really doesn't mean much. It just shows you're checking things off. It doesn't actually show that you're securing your systems. Isn't it in some way harmed uh, or hurt the ability of organizations to effectively, efficiently using the least resources to secure their IT? Actually not. What I found in the uh, in the Army was that uh, as I started to build the, the Army's program, uh, I was actually joined at the hip with the Army Audit Agency. And it provided me a lot of benefit to be able to get into areas that had I not had auditors with me, I wouldn't have been able to get into. You know, at the FAA, we were constantly getting audited by the Government Accountability Office, by our Department of IG. And really, even though it may sound kind of harsh, that was really a benefit because I could then use the reports that I got from that, which were independent evaluations of, of where the agency and the department stood, and use that as part of a budget justification for going in and requesting additional dollars. We were really successful in using that kind of an approach to be able to increase funding, not only to take care of our high vulnerabilities in systems, but also to start getting funding to be able to address the moderate level fundings. Even though they would find weaknesses in the program, for me it was a real benefit because I could then take those independent assessments and reports, which then filtered up to OMB, which then, you know, resulted in 
appearances before Vivek at the federal CIO council and such. You know, those things really helped out to put in a budget justification for requesting additional dollars. Eric, uh, I think the key thing here is, you know, there are some necessary evils when you basically run an enterprise or run a information security office or what have you, right? And and some levels of compliance, you know, you've just got to grit your teeth and do it, right? I think that, and I agree with Mike that oftentimes you can actually tremendously benefit from the outcomes and the findings because people pay attention to it, right? People pay attention to scorecards. So if you're basically appearing as an organization that basically has reds and yellows all over, it can actually help with budget justifications, et cetera. But I think the key thing is to do those necessary evils as efficiently and effectively as possible. So can I get things done faster, better, cheaper kind of thing? And quite frankly, I mean, it's like you said, money is tight. So our government really has to adopt some of those practices in doing things faster, doing things better, getting it done, and then focusing on the risk, right? The other thing is this. Tying to your mission is one of the most important things that a CISO can do as well. Because ultimately, if you basically get away from the paradigm that security can really enable your mission and you know make your customer and, and stakeholder group happier while reducing risk, I, I believe that that's a much more powerful story that can resonate uh, clearly now in the federal space. Obviously, with uh, budget cuts being called for by uh, Congress, in reality, whether that's actually cutting or just decreasing the growth rate, how much do you see IT security being part of those cutbacks? And if so, what's the next step people should do or the the strategy that they should do in working with maybe their non-IT bosses and getting the money they need? You know, that's really the $10 million question that everybody is asking, right? And there are some people on one polar end of the spectrum who basically say, you know, cybersecurity is now a presidential agenda item. They're, they're, you know, we are basically subject to, you know, millions of attacks a day and our sensitive information and systems and networks and our critical infrastructure can be compromised. So perhaps it's one of those areas will basically go fairly unscathed, right? That's one end of the spectrum, kind of the optimistic view. The other end of the spectrum is, you know, it's going to get uh, cuts just like most other areas, right? I believe that it's probably going to be someplace in the middle, uh, you know, slightly to toward, you know, kind of getting slightly protected. At the end of the day, I mean, cyber is so pervasive, Eric, that no part of the mission is absent or, or, or can ignore the whole concept of sound cybersecurity. And if CISOs and other people who are responsible for this can truly tie to mission, mission effectiveness, mission protection, and mission enablement, I believe that they've got a higher a chance of uh, likelihood that their budget cuts will not be as significant as somebody else who might actually view security as being something that has to be done. It's kind of nothing but a necessary evil. So let's basically kind of even skimp on it, try to basically cut it down to the bone and and make sure that we kind of move on to the next thing. It it also involves a certain amount of education on the part of the CISO, educating the non-IT folks exactly what it is he's doing, but you have to put it in business terms and try to make them see what the threat is and what the results of those threat scenarios and what it does to the business. So if you're talking to the CFO, you've got to be able to translate what it is you do into terms the CFO would understand, which is what we did at at the FAA, and as a result, we got money added into our, our baseline. Once they understood the implications and the ramifications of what it is we were doing and how it affected the business. 
Can you tell us what happened at the FAA? We got the uh, the CFO and and his staff together, and we basically gave them a threat briefing to the, to the appropriate level that we could about what what it is we were going uh, looking at and seeing. So how the number of events that we had been tracking per month had really grown exponentially, what systems we were seeing getting visited, where our phishing attacks were coming in against the senior leadership, if we had had any exfiltration of data, what what those files were that got, got moved out. Those kinds of things made a large impression because he had no idea any of that was going on and what the, what the impact was to the business. What would be the impact if we lost our Internet connections through which flowed the Delphi and PRISM systems, financial systems, going to the department and to OMB, or the ability to, to issue grants out to airports? So those kinds of things kind of went, wow, really? We didn't know that was going on. You know, taking that kind of an approach, we were able to really – we were able to increase our baseline of, of yearly funding to account for uh, trying to take – steps to remediate the impact of the business of those issues that we were having. Do you think most non-IT leaders in the various agencies and departments at this point grasp the threats that could occur to their systems, or do you still think there are a lot of people out there who don't quite appreciate that? No, I think it's a mixed bag, Eric. I think there are some people who basically, clearly the people who've been bitten by some kind of an event, right? I mean, <laughs> that's kind of the rude awakening. I mean, you know, the people have been made believers when something bad happens and they basically get a lot of press and publicity and there's a lot of noise around some kind of an event. I think those kinds of people might, may or may not have been believers in the past and now they basically have become believers because something has happened. Some people who basically have the, the importance of cybersecurity right in their DNA, they've actually got religion and they're basically, are, you know, vocal advocates. And there are some people who basically need to be educated. And Mike talked about the process that you've got to take people through to get them to a point where they say, all right, security protects our, our, our mission and it enables our mission. It is important. Let's let's uh, do it, even in the face of, of, of budget cuts and th that sort of thing. You know, one of the things that I'll bring to the private from the private sector that may be even relevant in the federal space going forward, which is CISOs inside of the commercial sector uh, might even be using, you know, I hate to put it this way, but marketing tactics, right, in terms of making sure that they've kind of packaged the value of security right so that senior executives in government can see the value and keep the funding flow going. And some parting thoughts, if you had to give the three pieces of advice, what would they be to the CISO to make sure he or she gets the money needed to uh, secure their IT? I would say from my perspective, and I'll let our former CISO uh, you know, have the last word here. One is you know, make sure that you basically leave nothing to chance, right? So basically start preparing for it right now. Adopt a risk management process and make your security processes a lot more effective than it is right now. Number two, make sure you truly understand your mission and the mission that you serve and figure out how you connect cybersecurity to the mission so that, again, you've got a much better chance of broader adoption and funding. And number three, always look to figure out how you can actually do more with less, right? So you do have current security processes, either implementation or assessment processes that basically can be done with fewer resources. I mean, don't wait until you're forced to reduce resources. You know, figure out ways you can actually do it, uh, again, better, cheaper, faster. Now, Omri is, is spot on with, with each of the three points that, that he's made. 
The only other thing that I would add would be that the CISO now has to really be kind of a strategic thinker and become less reactive to the situation and to deal with daily events, but be able to, to, to coin a soccer phrase, be able to get his head up the ball and see the field, to be able to look out three years, four years, five years, to be able to see where new developments are coming in, what systems are going to be fielded, what new technologies might be on the horizon that he has to get prepared for to be able to execute his role in protecting the federal systems as well as federal information. So so there's got to be a certain realm of strategic design and planning that he has to embark in, in addition to dealing with the daily crises that you face every day. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Eric. I've been speaking with Deloitte's Omri Junadine and Mike Brown for GovInfoSecurity.com and Information Security Media Group. I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.